Look at um, this story that um, maybe can make us feel <coughs> quite um, disappointed with the disciples. But we pray that it's a story that impacts our lives and makes us think about us. Um, but also, by the end of um, this time that we look at this passage, that we'll be thinking mostly all, of all about you and how great you are. Amen. This passage begins with Jesus predicting something quite terrible, and that is that Judas will betray him, and that all the other disciples will also eventually abandon him as well. So it's not a very pretty picture. It's a terrible assessment of his own team. Imagine playing a footy team and the captain of the team or the coach just says, you're going to stuff it up and you're all going to fail. It's kind of how he began their dinner party. It doesn't say very much about Christians. If there is any Christians in history that should have been able to stick with Jesus, it's the 12 apostles, isn't it? It's the people that have been able to walk around with him all the time and watch his miracles, listen to his stories, be friends with him personally. Jesus gave everything to these people for the last three years. So if they got all of that and, you know, and all that personal interaction with them, Jesus in the flesh, and yet they were still going to fall away, I guess the question is what hope do we have? What hope do we have to last until the end of our lives as Christians? Now I ask you this question. You, right now you might be doing well in your faith if you're a Christian and you might be here this morning trying to help yourself and each other go on further in your faith and you might be thinking that you're going okay with resisting temptation and okay with reading the Bible and, and praying and okay with engaging your faith. Maybe you're even going well. But will you get bored with your faith one day and walk away? Will you get sick of it? Will you get disappointed? Will you get angry? Will you find life apart from Jesus more attractive and so leave your faith? In Matthew 24 verse 13, Jesus says, Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. So what about you? Will you stand firm to the end? Will you run the race to the finish line? When that day comes, whenever that is, and you breathe your last breath, are you going to be with Jesus? It's most likely when you present that kind of confronting question like that, that most of us will probably fall into two different camps. On the one hand is, some of you will say, yep, I'm pretty sure I'll be okay. Um, I love Jesus and I'm, I know that I'll be okay to the end. Then on the other hand, there are others who are really worried about your own sinfulness, worried about failing, worried about stuff maybe that you've done in the past that you're not sure if Jesus is going to forgive you, worried that God's going to reject you in the end. So there's quite two different camps. Pretty sure that you're going to make it to the end. I'm pretty sure that you're going to be rejected. And both of those two thoughts are wrong. There's two different ways of assessing your own ability to persevere at the end. 
and both have a problem. You know, those people who say, I, yeah, I'm sure I'll make it to the end, often they're the people who are brought up in Christian families. They've been Christians since they were birth, born, and now they're in their 20s or 30s or 40s or whatever, and they're like, yeah, I'll make it. I made it this far. Why would I give up now? That's a problem. Then there are those who don't have any confidence in themselves, constantly feeling guilt and shame. I've met plenty of people like that who carry shame around with them. Both assumptions are wrong. Both assumptions show a problem in how we think about God. The first response of confidence in your own faithfulness to God shows a lack of awareness in your own capacity to sin. That's the problem with it. It shows a lack of awareness in your own capacity to sin. The problem with the other response is that that constant feeling of shame and burden and that God will never forgive you shows a lack of confidence in God. It shows a lack of confidence in His love for you and in His grace for us. In this passage from Matthew 26, Jesus is going to show us two important things about us and about him that should give us the right path so that we can persevere to the end. And this is the kind of tension we've got to walk. Here it is. Firstly, we are completely sinful. Actually, I'll stand on this side because I'm critiquing this person's view. We're completely sinful. More sinful than we imagine. More sinful than we give ourselves credit for. And the other side of the tension is God is more loving and gracious than you can ever imagine. There's a tension we've got to walk between this. We're completely sinful. More than we imagine. More than we give ourselves credit for. God is completely loving more than we give him credit for. We've got to walk that tension. Let's think about the fact that we're more sinful than we realise. This is a holiday time for the Jews. They're celebrating Passover when we're reading this passage. But for Jesus, it isn't really much time for fun at all. There was a plot against his life, and it's the worst kind of plot. It's a kind of plot where you've got uh, the Pharisees and the scribes on the outside trying to attack him, and on the inside he's got one of his own people Uh, who's a rat, basically, with a plot against him. The fact that it was Passover meant that it was time to celebrate the faithfulness of God. It was God who rescued them from Egypt, from slavery, from the burden of the oppression of the Egyptians. They should have been celebrating and having fun. So it was quite startling when Jesus came out with these words. Listen to it. When evening, verse 20, when evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table. So you can imagine the party, yeah, reclining at the couch, you know, his glass of red, having a chat. And while they were eating their lamb, whatever, the herbs, he said, truly I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. Then they were very sad and began to say to him, one after the other, surely you don't mean me, Lord. Jesus replied, the one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had never been born. 
Now, I don't know if you've ever been to a party where the host of the party, the guest of honour, should I say, comes out with a clanger and sort of the whole party stops. That's what happened here. Everyone's eating their roast lamb and herbs. Someone was playing the lute in the corner, you know, bit of hand in your hand, put your hand in the hand in the corner. The man is still the Lord. There's that going on in the corner. There's people sharing stories, kids playing games and fighting over the toys. Someone's pouring drinks on the table like this. And then the guest of honour tells everyone that effectively one of the people in the room is going to betray him. And that was better if his mother had not even given birth to him. The people stop eating. The musician stops playing his lute. The kids let go of the toys. The guests cease their conversations. What is he saying? What a downer! What a way to mess up a party. But Jesus doesn't care. He's concerned about deeper things. He's worried about the corruption of sin. He needed to comfort it head on. You might think Jesus is your friend or even your boyfriend. I hope not. Many Christians who sing like that, don't they? Jesus is my boyfriend. And then he's just going to look past your sin. He doesn't worry too much about it because he loves you. But he does care. He takes it really seriously. And he wants us to be self-aware about our sinfulness. Jesus didn't want to stay silent about all of this, not even at this Last Supper. Verse 20, when evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve, and while they're eating, he says, truly, I tell you, one of you, it's not anyone else, it's someone here, who's going to betray me. The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. So he sort of singles the person out. But he sort of keeps it open as well. Who's it going to be? Jesus could have just come out with a guilty party. It's Judas, he's going to do it. And put a badge on his t-shirt or something. But he says, it's one of you, but we're going to know soon who that's going to be. I think he wanted to keep it open because he maybe he wanted them to reflect on themselves. To self-analyse. They could think about their capacity to betray Jesus. And he made it specific enough. One of you, don't think about people out there, which is so easy to do. Here's what we do. We like to think of sin as being somebody else's issue. It's a problem for other people, not for me. But we have to realise that it is an issue for us. It's a problem for our hearts. We shouldn't be so foolish so so as to say, I would never do that. That's just not me. Um, when people talk to me about sexual temptation, almost always they say things like, I would never do that. You know me. I would never do that. Um, the people who perhaps uh, in, a, you know, in a workplace and they, they cross over the boundaries with other people in the workplace and they think, I'm not going to do. I'm not going to go that far. I'm not going to have an affair or something like that. I'm not that kind of person. Um, or the person who thinks that um, internet porn isn't going to be an issue for them. Oh, I'll be right. No, don't worry about me. I'm I'm pretty confident. You know, I'm, I'm I'm over that sort of stuff. Or the dating couple who thinks that they're not going to go too far. No, come on. That's other people. Let's not fool ourselves. 
We are all capable of having affairs. We are all capable of sexual addiction. We're all capable of sex outside of marriage. All of us in this room. If I asked you to write a top ten list of the people that you are, think are the worst sinners, most likely to have a moral failure, who are you going to put on the list? If I asked you to write another list of the Christians you know who are most likely to give up on their faith, who are you going to put on the list? Is it people at Mary Creek, perhaps, that you're sitting next to right now? Perhaps it's people you know from another church, because they're more likely to sin than us. Or family members who are not strong in their faith. Don't worry about other people. What about you? Maybe you should be at the top of the list. Jesus wants us to say, is it me? Could it be me that's the rat in the group that's going to betray you? In Mark uh, chapter 14, which is the Mark version of this story, it says that they all spoke up and they were sad in chapter 14, verse 19. They were sad and, and one by one they said to him, surely you don't mean me. He got them to think about themselves. And he wants us to think about ourselves. You might be confident in your own capacity to resist sin. To stay on track. Sure, you know that you slip up every now and again, but you're confident that you would never be a Judas. But the point for this is for the people on the inside. It's for the church members, the people on the roster, the people who lead groups, the people who play in the band, the people in the church council. This is what this is aiming at. This is who Jesus is talking to. It's the ministers, it's the archbishops, it's the popes, it's the preachers and the evangelists and the church administrators and the people who go every Sunday. Tim Keller writes this, he says, When it comes to the understanding of our sinfulness, it's not enough to just ask, what have I done? But also what I am capable of doing. If I was under certain threats, certain temptations, certain pressures, and certain opportunities, could I produce great evil under certain circumstances, which I haven't experienced yet? And the Bible says, yes. It's natural for us, when we're thinking about our sinfulness, to dwell on the past sins. But it's important for us to think about the sins that we're capable of. You may betray Jesus, but you must realise that apart from... You may not betray Jesus, but you must realise that apart from God's grace, in the right circumstances, the right pressures, the right temptations, you have the capacity still to do it, to betray him. Never be too confident in your own obedience. Never underestimate your own sinfulness. And I just think, remember the song words we sang from just before. For the buyers and the sellers were no different fellas than what I confess to be. And it causes me shame to know that I'm not the man or the people that we should be. We're more sinful than we realise. But, here's the good news. Secondly, God is more faithful than we imagine. We need to know the depths of our sinfulness, but we need to know the power and the majesty of God's love. If we didn't, all we would feel is shame. Jesus provides a solution. Look at verse 26. While they were eating, Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, Take and eat, this is my body. 
Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it with you in my Father's kingdom. Jesus, he gives them the answer to their own sinfulness, and that is God's faithfulness. God's faithfulness demonstrated in the body and the blood of Jesus sacrificed on a cross. Yes, we are sinners, but Christ died for us. And the point of Lent is to remember this and to feel in our bones the glory of Jesus' death. It's so easy for us to take it for granted. In verse 24 and 25, Jesus referred to himself as the Son of Man. The Son of Man is an Old Testament, um, it comes originally from the Old Testament title from Daniel chapter 7. Well, let me read it out to you, verses 13 to 14. This is a vision that Daniel has. Um, this is in the Old Testament time, so couple, you know, several hundred years earlier before Jesus. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Now the picture of the Son of Man here in Daniel 7 has no mention of blood and bones and death and sacrifice, of a man beaten, humiliated and spat upon. No mention of that. But then there's another context here, and that context is the Passover. There's another image here, and that is the image of the sacrificial lamb. That's what they remember at the Passover. When God told his people, the Israelites in Egypt, to paint the blood of the sacrificial lamb on their door. And if they would do that, the angel of death would pass them by. And Jesus was then evoking this imagery of the sacrificial lamb. He's, he's, he's in fact evoking two images as he talks about himself. One, the, the son of man in Daniel 7, and the other one is, this is my body, this is my blood, as he eats the Passover meal of, of the sacrificial lamb. He's holding these two images together because Jesus is cool and he can do two things at once. God's people would need a sacrificial lamb, is what Jesus is saying, and that's him. Jesus is the Son of Man, he's the sacrificial lamb too. So he's saying effectively, I'm the Son of Man, but here's my body broken for you and blood poured out for you. He was willing to become that lamb of God, which is the only possible way for them to be saved. And if he was willing to do this, then there would be no salvation. If he wasn't willing to do this, sorry, there would be no salvation for us. And there would be no way for us to get to the end of our lives and be with Jesus. The glorious Son of Man, radiant in the heavens, he's going to now lower himself and be the Lamb. And this is God's perfect act of faithfulness. God is more faithful and loving than we can ever imagine. Do you want to persevere to the end? Do you want to breathe your last breath, a Christian? Then put your trust in a God who is faithful, loving and gracious, more than you can imagine. So if we're going to apply this understanding, it's a both-and situation. Often it is in the Bible. It's both-and. If we, all we think about is our sinfulness and hopelessness, then we won't persevere. We will give up. If all we see is God's faithfulness, 
and forget about our sinfulness, we'll have a cheap grace as well. We'll think, God will, be, God will look after me, I'll be right. I'm not that bad anyway. That's a problem as well. We actually have to hold both together. We have to remember our sinfulness, remember God's faithfulness, and hold it in tension. Now, the problem is, some of us know this and we pray like this. We go, Jesus, thank you for being so faithful to me. You are so faithful, and so I am going to stick with you right to the end. Because you are faithful to, faithful to me, Jesus, I will be faithful to you. And this was Peter's understanding of what's going on here. He was trying to be, trying to have the right idea. Look at verse 30. When they had sung a hymn, oh, when they had sung, put your hand in the hand, they went out to the Mount of Olives and had a few olives. Then Jesus told them, This very night you will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd. Here's a prophecy about what's going to happen. And the sheep of the flock, they're going to go everywhere. They're going to be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. And Peter replied, Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, This very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same, yeah, me too. <laughs> you know, Peter's the team captain of the disciples. He's grown to be uh, more understanding of, of Jesus than the others in, in some ways. He, there was a time when he would have said to Jesus, Do not go on the cross, Jesus. But now he's, he's grown in his knowledge and He's not doing that anymore. Peter is not the man that he used to be, is he? But he's still not the man that he could be. What's Peter's problem? His problem is putting all the confidence in persevering to the end in himself. I will never disown you because I am a good Christian. He's not placing his confidence in Jesus' ability to rescue him and save him. But Jesus knows Peter and he knows the disciples that they'll fall away and yet despite all of this he's still willing to go to the cross and he tells them that he will meet them again after he's raised. What they are going to do is pretty bad. Abandoning the Son of God in his greatest time of need when he's suffering and dying for them. Shouldn't he at least say they're going to leave him when he needs them most, so when he's raised and comes back to see them after his resurrection, that he's going to demand a whole lot of apologies. Come on, guys. Fess up. But instead, in verse 32, he prophesies, prophesies about the grace that he will show. He tells them that they'll fall away, but after he's raised, he'll come for them. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So that's why we sing... Take a look at yourself. And you can look at others differently. Put your hand in the hand of the man from Galilee. I, I think this song captures it perfectly. Know your own sin, but just rest in all your confidence in him. Jesus will die on the cross, but rise again. Jesus will pay for their sin, and now there will be, then there will be no condemnation for them. 
So you might think Jesus would never be able to forgive you for what you've done in your life. But Jesus knows that even those closest to him have the capacity to betray him. And yet he still went for the cross for them, so that means he went for the cross for you too. For those of you who know you're a believer in Jesus, don't make the mistake of thinking that because you've been around church your whole life and your parents are Christians and you've been on the roster that you don't have the capacity to betray Jesus. You can still fall away. What you need to do is be self-aware of your own sin. God, he knows you. He knows your sin. But he still comes after you. He still holds you in the palm of his hand. There is a way for us to be confident and sure that we're going to make it to to the end. It's not found in our ability to never fall away, but in his ability to come after us. Let me finish um, with this bit from Jude. And after that, I'll... I think we can have questions. That'd be good. Jude chapter 1, verse 24 to 25. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Saviour be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen.